Did you notice how the story starts? It says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. Earlier in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote as a history of the early Christian church, he's mentioned Saul on two occasions. Once was when the authorities executed a young Christian leader named Stephen. And what Luke tells us is that Saul stood by approving of his death. Luke also tells us that Saul took active steps to oppose the early Christians. And he began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them into prison. Saul, you see, was a bitter opponent of Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised when we're told that he asks the religious authorities for permission to go all the way up to Damascus and there to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. To be clear, Saul didn't just want to throw them into jail to give them a scare. It says that he had murderous intent. You see, Saul's heart was filled with hatred, his mind poisoned by prejudice. What he believed he was engaged in was what he would have called a holy war. Now, a little bit about Saul. He was a remarkable person. He'd been educated in the best of rabbinical schools. He had specific ideas of who the Messiah, God's Messiah, should be. And this Jesus of Nazareth character didn't match up at all. The idea that a Galilean peasant, one who had been executed by the Romans, would end up being God's anointed one to him seemed preposterous. So he went on a campaign to eliminate these heretics as quickly as possible. And the trip to Damascus was just the next logical step in his mission to wipe the Christians out. Now, some of you may know that Saul would later be renamed Paul and be most important leader in the early Christian church. But if all you knew is what I've described up to now, no one would ever have predicted how Saul's life would turn out. But that's why one of the most important lessons in this story is that God is able to change the life of even the greatest of skeptics. God's able to change the lives of even our most ardent enemies. In, Christ, in Saul's case, this took a dramatic turn through a dramatic encounter. Now, you've heard the basics. He was on his way north from Jerusalem to Damascus when he was blinded by a great light. And then a voice spoke directly to him. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And he said, I'm Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Now imagine his surprise because Saul thought he was on God's side. And now what he discovers is actually, instead, he was fighting God himself. And it was humiliating. He must have thought, what is God going to do with me now? Coming face to face with Jesus turned Saul's world upside down. He was terrified and ashamed and in awe all at the same time and quickly concluded that he needed to give his life to Jesus. Everything that Saul did from that moment on flowed from this sudden, shocking encounter with Jesus. When Jesus told him to go up and go into the city and to wait for further instructions, he did so without hesitation. Now, I think we'd all like to think that we would do the same thing. But I have to confess that I don't always do that. When I feel like God may be directing me in some path, I may actually try to negotiate, try to bargain with Jesus. But not Saul. He did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. And this would be a pattern throughout the rest of his life when he would do so, even at great cost to himself. Which raises a question. Did Saul ever resent being asked to give up so much in order to gain what, from a human standpoint, looks like so little? The answer is no. In fact, he viewed it quite the opposite. Later in life, he said that what he gave up mattered little, but what he gained was of infinite value. In fact, he lived the rest of his life grateful for God's grace and mercy that was shown to him. 
Now, hearing Saul's story may make some assume that what we need is a dramatic conversion experience, but it's not true. For some, that is the way that they come to faith in Jesus Christ, but for others, the process is more gradual. But what is true of everyone is that Jesus extends an invitation to each one of us. The Bible tells us that Jesus lived, that he died, and then he rose again, that we might have a relationship with God, that all we need to do is to receive the invitation that Jesus offers to each one of us. Now, sometimes there's some drama in the invitation, but other times it's more matter-of-fact. I've talked to people who've told me they've walked around confused for years, and then suddenly, in an instant, it all makes sense, and their lives change dramatically. But I've also talked to others who tell me that they had no idea when the light bulb went on. Like one friend who told me, I, I really can't explain it. He said, I didn't used to believe. And then suddenly, I realized I do. It just kind of snuck up on me. What's important here is not whether it's dramatic or not, it's whether we receive the invitation that Jesus offers to us. Now, even those who've had a dramatic experience can sometimes look back and see different points in time when it maybe began to be open, they maybe began to be open for that dramatic moment. For Saul, this may have been when he saw Stephen die. One of the descriptions that Luke gives us is that as, Saul, or as Stephen was being executed, that his face was shining like that of an angel's. Saul saw his courage. He even heard Stephen say, just as he was dying, that he saw Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. Now, I have to think that seeing Stephen suffer and die, and do so at such peace and with such absence of fear, made him think differently about Jesus, made it hard for him to get Jesus out of his mind. I say that simply because I know that some of you would not consider yourselves Christians. Maybe you're exploring faith. Maybe that's even the reason you're watching this today. But even if it's not a dramatic experience, if you're not having those kinds of revelations, you may feel a tugging at your heart and mind. If that's you, let me encourage you to listen to God's voice. It may not come with a blinding light, but God is extending an invitation to you. So would you consider receiving the gift of grace given us in Jesus Christ through what he did for us on the cross? Now, in the way that he tells the story, Luke tells us that Saul isn't the only one to receive a vision. There's also a man named Ananias who receives one as well. And the message that God has for him is challenging, challenging for him and also challenging for us. Because what God asks him to do is to believe in others despite their past. And he asks us to do the same as well. You see, God asked Ananias to welcome Saul into the Christian church. Now, if he was skeptical, you really couldn't blame him. Saul was a hardline, fanatical, ultra-nationalist, super-orthodox Pharisee. He hated Christians. He'd come to Damascus to do real damage. But Ananias set that aside and stepped out in faith, even if on the surface of it, it looked foolhardy. Every time I read this story, though, it gets me. You read how Ananias goes to the place where God directs him that Saul is staying. He enters the home, and it says he placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. You know, wouldn't it have been wiser for Ananias to ask Saul some hard questions, to make sure he was genuine, maybe even rough him up a bit? You know, how could you watch Stephen die so callously to be stoned to death and do nothing? But instead, he simply says, Brother Saul. Imagine, on the other hand, how Saul heard those words, words of love and grace and peace. I really wish that Luke had described how Saul reacted, because in my imagination anyway, there were tears, maybe a lot of them. I wouldn't have been surprised. Why was Ananias able to do this? 
Well, first, because he trusted God. God asked him to do this, and so he decided to, to obey. But he also knew to the, that to God, every single person is precious. He knew that God is in the business of changing lives, so he believed that God could change Saul's life as well. I've also often wondered if Ananias' story might have been similar to Saul's, that he too had experienced a transformation, maybe dramatic, maybe not, but nonetheless a transformation in which he found peace and meaning and purpose and guidance and strength and hope for eternity in a relationship with Jesus. In him he found a story that made sense, the knowledge that in Christian faith is found the best, most comprehensive explanation of reality. So even it, the risk that, it, that he might have been wrong, that the voice he heard might not have been God's, Ananias stepped out in faith to meet Saul. When Ananias uh, entered the home and, and said, Brother Saul, he then prayed for him, prayed that Saul would be healed, and he was. He baptized him, and Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias, I think, has something to teach us here today. And that is, in this age of social media, we've all seen people shamed for a bad tweet that they posted years ago. People being dismissed for a mistake they made, something they perhaps confessed and have tried to make amends for. But there's no one there to give them grace. We have become a one-strike-and-you're-out world where there are no second chances. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we not take sin seriously or that we give a free pass to those who refuse to apologize or those who do little more than express regret at having been caught. But we need to be careful not to be less forgiving than God is with us. People make mistakes. Although I really ought to rephrase that, we make mistakes. We sin. We do things we deeply regret. And sometimes we're less willing to forgive one another than God is to forgive us. If Saul is a picture of what it means to receive the invitation that Jesus offers us, Ananias is an example of what it means to extend that invitation to others. To him, Saul's disturbing past did not disqualify him. You know, believing in others can be difficult. Chuck Colson was one of Richard Nixon's closest political aides. He had a reputation for being tough and nasty and tenaciously loyal. In the aftermath of the Watergate scandal, Colson was convicted of obstruction of justice and ended up spending seven months in a federal prison. In the interim between his conviction and when he was, uh, actually began to serve his sentence, a friend gave him a copy of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And after reading it, Colson became a Christian. Now his conversion, at least publicly, was met with skepticism. Many wondered about his motives, and some even claimed it was a ploy to negotiate a reduced sentence. But at the time, uh, Colson was befriended by two men. One was Al Kui, a Republican congressman from Minnesota, and the other was Harold Hughes, a Democratic senator from Iowa. Hughes was a political opponent, but when Colson came to faith, Hughes sought Colson out. He said, I'd like to hear your story. And after hearing Colson describe what had happened, he and, and he finished, Hughes said to him, Chuck, you know, I've heard your story. I've heard that you've accepted Jesus. He's forgiven you. And because he's forgiven you, I will forgive you as well. I love you now as my brother in Christ. I will stand with you and defend you and trust you. Colson would later said, say that he was overwhelmed and astonished and all he could get out was thank you. But for the rest of his life, Hughes fulfilled that promise. Colson would later say of Hughes, in all my life, there's never been someone so warm and loving outside of my family than Harold Hughes. On all that from a man who loathed his politics. Now there's more to Saul's story. Not only did Jesus issue an invitation, he gave him a job. And the job he gave him was an important one. You see, as surprising as it can be, 
God can use even the greatest of sinners. And that's the third lesson here for today, that God can use the greatest of sinners. When Ananias went to Saul, he did more than pray for him. He told Saul that God had chosen him to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, that is beyond the national and ethnic boundaries of Israel and the Jewish people. It was an important mission and shocking that it would be given to someone who three days earlier was committed to wiping out Christians off the face of the earth. But that's the way it is with God. He's the God of second chances, a God who believes in us even when we might not believe in ourselves. One of the overlooked facets of this story is the way that God transforms Saul's past and gives him a brand new future. When Jesus met Saul on the road into town, he was harsh with him. He said, why did you persecute me? And there's no sugarcoating what he said. He's confronting Saul with the violence that he's already committed against Christians and intends to in the future. And Saul needed to hear this. He needed to come to terms with his sin. But notice that while God confronts Saul, he doesn't crush him. He doesn't try to humiliate him. Instead, he's gracious, even if at the same time he's absolutely clear about what needs to change. Saul must have wondered if he could actually be forgiven. But God's answer is yes. You see, an encounter with God will often humble, but will never humiliate us. God is more interested in what we can become than in the things we've done in the past. And it's a good thing because we can't change the past. The only thing open to us is the future, and that's what God cares about most. Saul became who he became because he understood God's way of looking at life. He had his regrets. Later, he would call himself the greatest of sinners. But his story isn't unique because we too are sinners. We too need a vision of Jesus to lift us up. But seeing Jesus can change us and point us to a new future is what we all need to hear. I've known people who cannot let go of the past. They're so filled with regret and remorse that they won't even try to imagine a different future for themselves. But what we need to know is that Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. And yes, he does care about the past, but he came to die for our past and was raised again for our future. He's much more interested in what we can become than in all the terrible things we might have done in the past. Now, the past has great lessons to teach us. In fact, it would be foolish to forget the past. But if we dwell on it, become fixated on it, we will never move beyond it and find how different our future can be with God. That's why when Saul was knocked down, in his case literally, Jesus didn't proceed to pummel him. Instead, he pointed him forward to a different future. The story of Saul's encounter with Jesus is one of the most dramatic there is in the Bible. Few of us have known anyone with a story anything like it. But there are ways that his story connects with our story. First of all, know that God can change the life of even the greatest of skeptics. And that might be us. Know also that God asks us to believe in others, that they can change despite what might have been there in their past. And finally, God can use even the greatest of sinners, even people like the Apostle Paul, and even people like you and me. Amen.